Welcome to Short Course, Episode 9, for March 30th, 2018. I'm your host, Ben Barry. This week I want to talk about the recent rules change in production in USPSA and give a little bit of a, of a history for people who aren't totally up to speed or might be coming into the, the situation a little bit late. Give my thoughts on, on the decisions and, um, and, and where we go from here. So, first of all, as a way of background, production in USPSA is distinct from the other big divisions in the sport in that in limited and in open, you can shoot any gun that fits an objective list of criteria. Production is different in that there is a list of certain production guns that meet certain criteria, particularly the fact that they are mass-produced guns and they're either striker-fired or double-action, single-action. The idea originally was to have a place for non-race guns to, to come and compete in the sport. They had to draw the line somewhere about how much modification you could do to the gun. So in IPSC, the international rule set, they're much more strict. They say you can't have any parts in the gun that aren't a factory part. Springs, firing pins, anything. It has to be a factory part. USPSA, I think wisely, looked at a rule like that and said, well, that's impossible to enforce. There's no way we're going to pull someone's gun apart and check that there's springs. Even if we had a way to know if they're factory springs, there's no way we can know. So the rule in USPSA used to be that in production, you could change any internal part of the gun. And internal was defined as not visible when the slide is in battery. So for example, you could change your firing pin to an aftermarket firing pin, but you couldn't change the hammer itself on a hammer-fired gun because the hammer was externally visible when the gun was in battery. The one exception to that being that you could change, you could put any part that was available on any factory model from that same manufacturer on that model of gun. So, it, you know, the, the old example used to be that the Glock 34 came with an extended slide release. You could take an extended slide release from there and put it on your Glock 17, even though no Glock 17s left the factory with that extended mag release. And there, there were a couple other things about, you know, for example, you could change the barrel to a, even though that was externally visible, as long as it was the same profile barrel and the same caliber, you know, so you couldn't get like a 40 caliber gun and put a nine millimeter barrel in it to make it slightly heavier. None of that. I think that was a, a reasonable middle ground. I think it was fairly enforceable. And the problem started to arise that as production became a very popular division and people were making aftermarket parts for production guns, there have started to be some parts that are, that are very hard to distinguish from the actual factory part. And this came to a head at a match sometime last year when someone was shooting a CZ, they had a race hammer that was not produced by CZ. It was produced by an aftermarket company. If it had been a, a CZ hammer that CZ shipped on a factory gun that was on the production gun list, no problem, all good. But because it was made by an aftermarket company, it was technically illegal for production because it wasn't made by, it wasn't shipped from the factory by the gun manufacturer. So one of the ROs at that match who happened to also shoot CZs and know something about CZ parts and that sort of thing, he spotted it pointed it out, and the competitor ended up being bumped to open, which is what happens when you have gear that doesn't comply with your declared division. You don't just go to the, the next allowed division. You, you get bumped straight to open, which from a practical standpoint, I mean, you get to shoot the match and finish the match, but from a scoring standpoint, you're, you're dead in the water. You, 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 your, your scores don't even have any meaningful relevance uh, compared to the people in your division because they have major power factor and that sort of thing. The competitor that was bumped to open initiated a, a conversation with Troy McManus, the director of the National Range Officer Institute, about this, about whether this was the way the rules should work. And Troy ended up coming out with a ruling 
you know, what it, what was deemed a clarification or an adjustment that said, and I quote, as long as the internal parts of the hammer used as a replacement function identically to the internals of the OFM hammer, replacing the hammer is allowed despite the outward appearance. So in other words, as long as the hammer works the same way, so as long as it's still a double action hammer in a double action gun, you can't do like a single action conversion, which isn't production legal anyway, as long as it's a double action hammer from any manufacturer, you can use it in that gun. And this was, this was deemed to be a, a clarification or an adjustment of the existing rule. And that got a lot of people up in arms, honestly, because it, it was on its face, not, it was, it was a rules change. It was issued under the guise of an adjustment under the guise of a clarification, but it, it was a significant expansion of, of what the rules allowed. This bothered people like me just because the idea that the guy in charge of making the rules for USPSA wasn't following his own rules was just kind of a big red flag. This kicked off about, I don't know, nine months or a year of back and forth about whether this was a good idea or not. There was some discussion of this change apparently multiple times with the board of of USPSA and nobody really got that fired up about it. And so it just kind of was was left to lie. But the, the issue kept coming up and USPSA eventually... The, the board and the president voted to follow the published process to amend the rule set and change production division. The new rules do allow significantly more things than were allowed before, but the process was followed and it was done in the right way. And I actually, there's been a lot of negative emotion wrapped up with the eventual changes because there, there has been so much consternation about how the adjustment was made originally. But I actually, as someone who wants the best for the sport and wants the best for the division, I'm actually kind of happy with where we've ended up. I actually don't have a problem with the, the new rules. And, and I think following the process to get to them shows the right level of, of respect for the membership. So as I record this, we're about halfway through the 90-day period between announcing the rules and them going into effect. And so we haven't actually seen what effect they'll have. But I, I think they're actually going to not change things that much and honestly just enhance the growing juggernaut that that production division is because people like having affordable guns that shoot affordable bullets where you can just go compete the changes that were published the the end result of this process is that it has been the the rules have been changed to say that specific enumerated external parts are now you can now change them out for any aftermarket part. It doesn't have to be a factory part anymore. And those parts are sights, firing pins, firing pin retainers, pins, extractors, magazine releases, slide stops, thumb safeties, triggers, hammers, bushings, and ejectors. And, you know, a couple things on that list, firing pins and sights, you already could change for pretty much any other factory option. But there, there are a couple things on there, things like thumb safeties. I mean, there are uh, probably four or five different types of thumb safeties, ambi versus single, that you can get on a, on a Tanfolio. And only maybe half of them actually come on guns that are on the production list. The rest come on guns that would only be legal in limited or something like that. And so now if I wanted to use one of those safeties, I could. And nobody would honestly probably know the difference. You know, the so the, the, the argument at root from before that I think caused a lot of infighting within the, the community was this idea where when you when you were restricting things to only factory after or factory aftermarket I mean that's basically what it is factory parts that didn't ship with the gun but were available from the factory and were in some cases performance parts so Tanfolio is an excellent example because they actually maintain an entire line 
of aftermarket Tanfolio brand extreme parts that are production legal in both IPSC and USPSA. And so you could buy, you know, an aftermarket Tanfolio hammer, but because it was made by Tanfolio, you could use it. The argument basically went, well, you can't expect every RO or every chrono station at every match to, to be able to know what is legal, you know, what, how many different CZ hammers are available on factory models of CZs. You, you can't possibly expect that every RO in every match, every, you know, this, this very broad sweeping statement. And I don't know where, where that idea came from, because to me, it's a bit of a straw man. But the idea is that it's not about necessarily having to have rigorous 100% enforcement, but that having the, the fact that if any other competitor or any RO happens to know what gun they're looking at and happens to know what part they're looking at, if you are using something that's not legal for the division, you're going to open. And so it was less about, in, in my opinion, it was less about actually having to have some book with all the f- aftermarket and factory hammers ever produced by CZ for all the different models. It, that, that, that was never on the table. But there is a certain deterrent power in taking advantage of people's fear of uncertainty and their unwillingness as the stakes grow higher you know, they might run some illegal equipment at a club match where if they get pumped open, who cares? But if you're driving six, eight hours to go to an area match, you're probably not going to risk that on some aftermarket hammer. It just, you, you the, the possibility that someone might know what they're looking at and might tell the match staff or the match staff themselves, one of them might be a, a competitor who knows your gun well enough, it, that, that deterrent effect would be enough to enforce compliance. I mean, honestly, I, I, I see this in other aspects of the sport. I, I actually, I have a sort of thought experiment that I'd love to see run at a, at a major match where you don't have the system where Chrono is a particular stage and everybody goes to Chrono at a particular time and you know exactly when you're going to go to Chrono. And I mean, let's be honest, if you, at most matches, if you wanted to have a special mag of Chrono ammo and that made Power Factor and run the whole rest of the match with ammo that didn't make Power Factor... You, you have a pretty good shot of getting away with that with the current system because it, it is so trusting of the competitors. It essentially only catches accidents. If we actually wanted to, to catch cheating, you know, I think a, not that I necessarily think there is rampant cheating. I, I don't. But if you wanted to design a system to do that, I think what would be much more effective is you have somebody on a, on a golf cart that drives around and as a competitor is shooting a stage, he, you know, nods to the RO or whatever, and at unload and show clear, the RO picks up one of the guy's mags that he dropped on the on the stage, pulls out six rounds, puts those in a baggie, tells the competitor to holster up and, you know, don't without going back to his bag, hop on the golf cart, take a quick trip over to the chrono just so they can check your gear and shoot the ammo that was actually in your mags that actually you could have used on this stage. And, you know, you'd only have to chrono 10% of the of the actual match you wouldn't you wouldn't nearly have to actually process everybody through this station it would just be this this random enforcement measure and i i wonder you know if that would actually be more effective because like i say if you want to try and you know make sure to grab a special magazine or something to take to chrono i i i don't think most matches make that very hard and you could by having sort of selective random enforcement it's more the fear of of getting caught that would, I think, keep people in line more so than knowing exactly when the checkpoint is going to be and if you want to game it, you know, here's your opportunity. So I, I think the, the the two things there are kind of interrelated. 
All of that said, I think this rules change actually very neatly eliminates the need for a lot of this. I think it does away with what was admittedly a somewhat arbitrary distinction. And at the end of the day, I don't really mind it. I I really don't. I mean, some of the other changes that they allow are that you can stipple a a polymer gun anywhere. There used to be this diagram in the rule book with a a dotted line of where you could apply grip tape and where you could apply stippling on your grip. And it was a, you know, basically it was only where you could have grip panels on a 1911, that, that kind of area of the gun. And now you can have grip tape wherever you want and you can stipple wherever you want. And I don't see that as a problem. I like, I don't think that that's going to be a a huge advantage. And if it is, it's a cheap enough advantage that anybody can buy some grip tape and stick it on their gun. It, that all this little stuff about, you know, being able to change a a thumb safety. I mean, a thumb safety is, is something that is a very sort of personal fit kind of thing. And so if you can change, if you have a gun that you really like and you can change to a different shaped thumb safety and still stay in production, you know, buy a $50 aftermarket part for your thousand dollar gun and be able to, to make the gun a little bit more comfortable to shoot for your hand size without having to go to limited where the, the price of entry is at least 2000 bucks and you're shooting 40 cal instead of nine millimeters. So your ammo cost goes up a little bit. I, I actually, I, I think, I think the outcome of, of this rules changes is, is going to be a good thing for the division. If you'd asked me a year ago, I, I would have said that I think it's a good thing that the sport rewards companies that go out of their way to make competition-specific parts. Companies like Tanfolio and CZ to a certain extent that that do have race lines of parts or have stuff like the, the AccuShadow, which was a CC75 that had had a bushing added, sort of like a 1911 to increase the accuracy. But because CZ Custom, which is part of CZ USA, is considered the manufacturer, because they do those modifications, it was considered a, a factory gun in that configuration, and so it was it was production legal. Honestly, I, I, I would have said a year ago, and, and I, I mean, I still think this is true, that it's not a bad thing for the sport to have a sort of carve-out and, and give special privileges to manufacturers that make an effort to court the competition community. Because, I don't know, in theory, it might have some advantage in making those companies more likely to make race parts and and value competitors more. You know, you you look at a gun like the SIG P320X5, which I think it's fair to say was the most customized for competition factory gun that really the the production division had ever seen at the time that it was introduced from a a really mainstream-wide distributor. You know, obviously Tanfolio is a pretty boutique shop. They pretty much just make competition guns at this point. I mean, I know they have some other plastic stuff for carry, but what they're known for in the U.S. is they're, they're nobody, no no departments carry them, no militaries issue them. They're, they're a race gun manufacturer. So the fact that SIG came out with a, a production legal gun with a flat trigger and from the factory came with that flat trigger was kind of cool. And, and if we could subsidize SIG and reward them for doing that by sending a little bit more business their way from this pool of money swirling around in production, I kind of like that idea. That said, the fact that you can have a lot more small manufacturers out there making little niche parts, making you know, flat triggers and extended magazine releases and extended slide releases. And and there's going to be a bit more of an aftermarket for these parts that you can use in production, I think is going to be, I think it's going to be good. I think production is, is a very popular division. It's growing because it's affordable. It's fun to shoot. It's fairly low maintenance. It's low barrier to entry. And you can, there's still a lot of competition in it. And so, you know, if there are 
going to be more people making flat triggers and all this. I, I think that helps the sport. And at the end of the day, I don't think anybody seriously thinks that these race hammers or a flat apex trigger for your MNP or an extended slide release, if that's what you need for your Glock, I don't think anybody seriously thinks that any of these things are actually going to give a competitive advantage. They are either going to be a comfort thing where somebody who previously had, you know, small hands or big hands or whatever wouldn't have been able to shoot a $500 Glock. Now they can spend a hundred bucks on aftermarket parts and, you know, get into the production division that way. Or it's just going to make people invest more in their guns and tweak them a little bit more so they like them. You know, in in the Tanfolio world, this has been going on for years where people buy a gun and then put hundreds of dollars of disconnectors and springs and hammers and one-piece sears and polished sear cages and all this stuff in it. And I don't know that anybody, at least nobody that I've talked to, seriously says that it gives them a competitive advantage, but they just really like the gun. They have fun messing with it, and then it makes them want to go shoot it. And if it doesn't hurt the competitiveness of the sport and it lets the competitors that are in it get more out of it to the level that that they want, I just, I, I can't really get up in arms about that. And so I know that coming into this announcement, the announcement of, of this rules change, I was really, I was really disposed to just have this knee-jerk negative reaction. But the more I think about it, the more I ponder it, it's, I, th- I think it's going to be a good thing. I think it was a, a good decision. I think it resolves the issue that was that was created, it, it hopefully can sort of close the book on this this chapter in the in the history of production. I don't think the division is is going to be radically changed by it. And if anything, you know, we might actually see a, a resurgence of polymer guns. You know, for a long time, polymer guns were were the go to thing. The the striker fired triggers. You never have to worry about the double action, and you can transition them quickly. That was that was the ticket up until Steger started winning nationals with a Beretta, and then for the last five six years, it's been heavy DASA guns, mostly CZs. Even though a CZ hasn't won a nationals, weirdly enough, but Tanfolios, CZs, the odd Beretta here and there, that kind of thing. That's that's become the dominant craze. I you know I genuinely wouldn't be surprised after these rules go into effect if we see a bit of a a bit of a land rush into customizing Glock thirty fours and putting flat triggers and extended slide releases on them and extended magazine releases and really tricking them out. And I don't, I don't really see the problem with that. I don't think that, that any of those things are going to be a game changing, overwhelming competitive advantage. I think it will allow people to build and shoot the gun that they like without doing anything to endanger the the competitiveness of the game. And so you know, I, I'm more interested in production than ever. I think it's it's still an interesting place. I hope this brings more and more talent into the division and, and that it continues to grow and continues to be the place where stripped of all the tinkering in the gear. I mean, yes, this will this ironically will increase the tinkering in the gear, but I think most people that I've talked to over the years, as they get better, as they go up through the ranks in production, they tend to do less and less of that because they realize how little of it, it actually matters. And so although across the whole division there'll be more tinkering and and more small parts type stuff i think at the top it'll still be the same general attitude of set the gun up with parts that run and then just go shoot and don't worry about your one pound seven eighths of a tenth of an ounce reset or whatever 
I, I don't see that being a, a big deal in the in the top of the competition. But the more people that come into the division, the more interesting it gets, and and I I see that as a good thing. So I'm I'm happy with how things wrapped up. I'm really looking forward to seeing how this all shakes out, and I think overall it it is going to be good for the sport, and it just lets us move on. I know. I know headquarters is tired of dealing with this, so hopefully this reduces a lot of the emails and questions to them. And uh, I know, you know, for my part, I'm, I'm, I'm mollified. So I'm, I'm looking forward to the season, and I'm looking forward to see seeing what the new rules bring to the sport. So that wraps up this episode of Short Course. You can find me on Facebook at Ben Barry Shooting and Instagram at BS Barry. I post my match videos on YouTube at YouTube.com/BenBarryUSPSA. My blog is at BarryShooting.com. If you'd like to get an email when I put up a new blog post, you can join the mailing list there. If you want to be the first to know when I open registration for a new class, check the classes box when you sign up for the mailing list. If you have a question or you just want to tell me something, you can email me at podcast at Talk to you next time.